Go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And uh, while you're turning there, it's Matthew 4, 18 through 22. We're going to pay special attention to verse 19 this morning, but we'll kind of zoom back and get the whole context. If you don't know me, I'm James Sharp. We're going to we're going to look at God's Word together, and uh, it's just a blessing to be here. I hope y'all's Christmas was awesome. I know it's bittersweet for a lot of us, but the joy just of remembering Christ is awesome, and I hope that carries on into the new year with us. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. It says, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of uh, Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. God, please bless the reading of your word and the the preaching of your word. Let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pure and acceptable in your sight. Let anything that's not of you totally and completely fade away, go away. God, let us be renewed by your word. Let our minds be transformed by your word today. Help us to see you more clearly, to follow you more closely, and to love you more dearly. Uh, you're worthy of all our worship and glory and praise, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to propose to you this morning that this passage, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, answers a critical question that we should be asking. And maybe you, you may never have asked that, I'm not sure, but we, we ought to be asking the question. And the question before us today is, what is a disciple? I know this is a Great Commission church, and y'all know all the Great Commission passages, all five of them, and especially Matthew, the one that we love to go to, which is really neat because it pairs with the beginning of Matthew right here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We see Jesus calling disciples, so we're going to look at this initial call and see how it informs our our marching orders. We're all aware that we're to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. So we know all those verbs, go, make disciples, baptize, obey, teach, and obey. But do we know what a disciple is? That's a critical question. It would be absurd if at our jobs, we were told to do something, and we never knew what the end result was meant to be, or as parents, what the end result is. We know what a, what a fully mature adult looks like. We're able to raise our kids in such a way to, to bring them up to full maturity. But are we able to do that with disciples? And if we've never asked and answered this question, what does Jesus mean by disciple when he says, go into all the world to make disciples? then we'll fill that in with our own answer. We'll default to tradition, what we've been taught, to the flesh, and we'll even be prayed to the enemy because he has his own ideas of 
what he would like to do. And he gets in, believe it or not, into the church too. And so what we, what we need to do is ask of the scripture, what did Jesus mean by disciple? In verse 19, we see at least three elements, three aspects of what a disciple is. And I think by the end of today's service, we'll have memorized this, this verse. And it's a, it's a short episode. We might be tempted to skip over it. Just because, you know, it's, it's telling about Jesus calling these guys and how they responded. And then it, and then it immediately goes into the narrative, into Jesus' Jesus's ministry, which was radical, you know, casting out demons, full of miracles, feeding the 5,000, raising people from the dead. But all along the way, he's got this group of men with him. And he's showing them how to do this ministry so that when they leave, they'll know what a disciple looks like, what a disciple is. If you'll back up and just kind of go through the headings, if, you're, if your Bible has headings, we'll get a context for what's going on here. It's really timely because we just celebrated Advent. We just cel- celebrated the birth of Christ. And that's what this is walking us through so that we get the genealogy of Christ we see that he was fully God, fully man, and how that played out. We see him come to earth, leaving his home, coming to earth, being born of a virgin, miraculous birth. We see wise men going to him. We see the family has to flee. We see over and over all these different people praising him before he even gets here. And if you couple this with some of the other uh, gospels, Gospel accounts, you'll see that John, even the story of John the Baptist, is shadowed or overshadowed by the birth of Jesus. While it's a miracle that his coming, you know, it it was a miracle in itself. His father and mother should by no means have had him. Uh, And then you have the miraculous story of Zechariah not being being able to, to speak. It's still almost nothing in comparison to Christ's coming. And then we have Jesus's kind of his initial going out into ministry. It starts with the baptism. And John, again, not only as a baby, but again as an adult, recognizes this is the Son of God. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one you should follow. But more significant than John's recognition is God. In this baptism, he goes under and God is there. And God speaks audibly and recognizes this is my son. This, listen to this guy. It's pretty incredible to see that he goes from this into the desert for 40 days to be tempted. Like most of our ministries, earthly ministries that we see aren't started that way. But it should be a warning to us if the son of man endured temptation and suffering, that's what we have to look forward to. And that, that might sound cynical or maybe even depressing in a way, but it's true. We, we're going to be faced with trials and hardships. And Jesus tells them that. And Jesus even at one point tells the disciples, he doesn't say this. This is my addition. Are you crazy? If they treated me this way and I'm your master, how much worse do you think they'll treat you? So we should recognize this. We should also recognize in that temptation account that the devil doesn't always use purely wicked things to tempt us. With Jesus, he used the scriptures. And so we should be encouraged to draw in closer to know the scriptures more because how did Jesus defeat the enemy? He resisted temptation with scripture. 
he knew that he was the word, but he also knew the word very, very, very intimately and was able to quote it and was able to see that how Satan was taking the passage out of context. Jesus knew the context that it was fit into. And that's a, that's a good place for us today to see this passage. Jesus wasn't in, in its context. Jesus wasn't actually saying this is what a disciple is. Instead, he was calling disciples, and we can, from that uh, verse 19, from that initial call, we can find what he meant by disciple by tracing those three elements throughout his ministry. Because uh, a text without a context is a proof text for a pretext, or a pretext for a proof text. In other words, anytime we just have a verse standing alone by itself, we need to ask, what came before, what came behind it? What was actually going on there? So that we can know exactly what's going on. I don't know if you, you guys know what a proof text is. I'm pretty sure you probably do. But a proof text is when you say, well, this is my one scripture to back up my reason. We never want to be in that situation as Christians. We want to be grounded in the word. We want to be like Jesus and know where that passage came from. And if we don't know, we want to say, okay, God, show me in your word and go to it ourselves and find it. So we're going to look at these three things about a disciple that I believe Jesus understood to be uh, kind of like markers for a disciple and then follow them through examples throughout Jesus' ministry. First, we have Jesus saying in verse uh, 19, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the first thing we have is Jesus' call to follow. Come and follow. That's, and what we're going to do today is just look at those verbs, come and follow. Then we have, and I will make you. So that's something strictly on God's end. I will make you. And then fishers of men. This isn't the term disciple, but we'll see that Jesus called these men to be his disciples, and he's calling us to be as well. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? If we take this as a definition of discipleship or a definition of disciple we can look at who he called. The first set of brothers was Andrew and Simon, who was called Peter. Peter gives us some really good examples of someone who came and followed Jesus, who imitated Jesus. To follow Jesus could also be to emulate Jesus or to imitate Jesus. As we worship him, we're made to look more and more like him. Elliot looks like Hannah because she has a dimple, and for other reasons too. But there are also ways that, say, Ireland looks like Hannah by the way she walks, her expression. <laughs> Those two examples can be separated. One is simply from time spent. Ireland has, since she could open her eyes, has seen her mother act and respond. But Elliot's trait, the one that I mentioned at least, was given to her naturally. It's the same with us. We have ways in which God designed us to follow him, to reflect his glory to the world. Just like in creation, you can see God's handprint, his, his fingerprint. But there, there are ways that will reflect him when we become his children and we spend time with him that look drastically different to the rest of the world. I'm from a large family. I'm the youngest of five boys, and then there's two sisters after me, so quite a few kids. And anytime we go to Bastrop, somebody 
is going to say, hey, you're a sharp, ain't you? Or you're one of Harold's boys. And it's not just because of genetics. It's mannerisms. It's the way we carry ourselves. It's the same thing with, as children of God. We have a way that is different from the world. We have a way of being, doing, talking that is different from the world. So the question today for you when it comes to coming and following Jesus is, do people see Jesus in your day-to-day life? Not just in your words, but in your actions. If somebody, say, from like an unreached people group came and stayed with you for a week, or if somebody had a recording with no sound and they saw your life throughout the week, they saw you at your job, they saw what you watched on TV, they saw your priorities, or let's say something even more realistic, somebody got a hold of your phone and saw your, your weekly report. Does that reflect your life as a child of God? Does that reflect you following Jesus? We have a lot of other things vying for our attention. We have um, football. We have COVID. We have the news. We have our jobs. We have our families. There are all sorts of things that can and will consume us and that will be consumed by if we let it. Earlier I mentioned that as if we don't have a definition for disciple, we'll kind of default to one, one that we've been shown. It's because we were made to worship. Jesus has created all of us to worship. And so instead of filling that void with Jesus, we often fill it with addictions or with other things. And even as Christians, those of us who do worship Jesus, we, we responded to that call in the same way these two sets of brothers did, and we left all that, that life behind and followed him immediately. We still find ourselves struggling with idols in our life. What gets more attention, more of our attention than Jesus? What gets more of our affection than Jesus? And sometimes it's good things. It's gifts from God that he's given us that we just raise this higher status. But Peter gives us a pretty good example Let's take one of our favorites when he steps out of the boat and walks on water. He imitates Jesus. And a lot of times we focus on what happened after that, where he he lost sight or whatever the situation is, he was drowning and Jesus had to save him. But we look at 11 other guys there on the boat who didn't step out. That's imitating Jesus. and, And the thing is, when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he was like, I want to do that. I want to do what you're doing. But again and again, we see throughout Jesus' ministry, the disciples saying, hey, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to cast out demons. And then at times, we see them not asking that, and Jesus saying, "Uh, why don't you feed them? I'll do the miracle, but why don't you feed them? And he puts it back in their hands to do the work of the ministry. This coming and following, we see in the workplace. And in fact, this, the word disciple at the end of Matthew is from a Greek word. I'm going to butcher it, but it's something along the lines of methetis or methetes. And it basically means an apprentice. And in those days, Jesus is starting his earthly ministry, so it looks kind of like the rabbis of his day. And there's been a lot of talk from historians and theologians about what Jesus meant by come and follow me. And there's this book and all kinds of discussion about it. It's really interesting. It's called uh, Covered in the Dust of Your Rabbi. 
and it sounds exactly like what it means. Apprentices or understudies in those days would come and once they were invited by the rabbi, they would walk behind everything the rabbi did, they would walk behind him so closely that the dust from his sandals would cover their clothing, would cover their face. It's been reported that they would even go with them as they relieve themselves and hold their cloak. And it wasn't like as worship to that person. It was they wanted to become like that person. It wasn't just that they wanted to understand their teachings at a, at a mental level, but they wanted to be like who that person was. And Jesus is not really departing from that very much. He, in fact, he uses the 12 disciples to show that he's setting up his own kingdom. In verse uh, 17, Jesus has left, uh, the, the angels have ministered to him, he's left uh, temptation. It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is not just the, the preaching of Jesus' ministry, it was the Jesus' Jesus's ministry. Jesus was the king. He came to establish his kingdom, and everywhere that he went, he showed what it would be like. And so those followers were meant to do the same thing. And in fact, Matthew shows us how the 12 tribes of Israel were replicated in these 12 followers. Jesus is setting up his new family, his new kingdom on earth. But Jesus is, is doing things rad, radically different because he chooses people that no one else would have chose. Look, look at this setting we have here. He goes out to some boats. He was walking along the Sea of Galilee. That, that's important because if you'll remember, people made fun of Galilee a lot. Can anything good come from there? There are a bunch of backwoods, rednecks, hillbillies, all that kind of stuff. It's a, that's the sort of things we would hear said. And yet Jesus chooses these guys. See, for the Jewish community, young men would study the Torah, the first five books at least, and they would be able to memorize that and sing it or speak it in Hebrew. Most of it's already in sing song. So they would memorize it and they would quote it to their, their rabbi as they're following closely behind. And at some point he would choose or he would invite you know, an, an extended invitation to the ones who were, seemed like they were more suited for this spiritual or kind of like academic work. Because it takes a lot of mental power to memorize five books, right? And so you had to be a certain standard. And Jesus comes and chooses the guys who didn't make the cut. Anybody who didn't make the cut would go and be with their fathers. They would go learn their trades. And here's two sets of brothers who would become fishermen, and Jesus goes, just like I'm going to be the one that people reject, I'm going to go choose the outcasts. I'm going to go choose the ones who don't seem worthy. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I definitely can. So Jesus wants us to come, follow him, be like him in our actions, but he doesn't just simply call us out of the boat to leave that life behind. He, he meets us where we're at. He came to the Sea of Galilee. He comes to you. And he tells you in one sense to leave your, your life behind, but for many of us, he has us placed right there. And he says, I want you to make fishers of people where you're at. I want you to make disciples in what you're doing now. These men were being called into a, a full-time ministry that they would spend the rest of their lives on. 
And in fact, when Jesus is resurrected, he comes to find them being disobedient. They're back in the boat doing what he called them away from. But he still uses them. And he does that with us. He does that with us. Every time we, we miss the goal, we say, well, we've been making disciples, but we really never knew what a disciple is. Or we never asked of Jesus, what do you mean by disciple? Well, he still, the Holy Spirit still affirms things that he's been doing in your life where you've helped others to follow him more closely, where you've been helped by others to follow him more closely. And no matter where you're at today, this is the call for you he's extending. If you're far from God, if you know him, if you've put your trust and faith in him, but have maybe rejected his lordship and said, I'm going to follow from a distance, he's calling you to that. Or if you've never really heard that cry, you've heard Jesus say, come follow me, but It was like it wasn't for you, it was for someone else. The call is for you today. A disciple is somebody who comes and follows Jesus, imitating his life, emulating his, even his presence. But there's something about this that requires conversion, and that's God's transformation. So I will make you, it's totally on God. There's a step required for us to follow Jesus, And Jesus empowers us to make that step. But the next part is totally on him. The timing of it, all of it, is on him. When we step out of the boat, (laughs) as it were, and follow Jesus, we can't do it on our own. If you'll notice, as we call people to discipleship, if they don't know Jesus, if they haven't had their hearts renewed or regenerated, they'll be crushed. And even, even when we do know Jesus and have become children of his, We're crushed by the weight of their responsibility. We're crushed by the mission because it's too difficult to do in our power. It's it's impossible to do in our power. We have to have the power of the Spirit working through us. If you want, you could even draw a triangle and see that Jesus is calling us upward to God, and then he's doing a work downward in us. And he's not just one-on-one, right? The, the 12 disciples live life together. And they had a larger community of 72, and then even bigger crowds we see at Pentecost. And so discipleship happens not just between you and God, but in a community. So as you're being called up to, to maturity, to, to growth in God, he works that growth out in you, but he also pushes you back into that community. And we see this again with Jesus' disciples. Every time they began to fight about who was going to be most important in the kingdom, they got a pretty sharp rebuke. God rebuked them up for other things along the way, too, when they were missing things, uh, you know, missing the central fact that he is Lord, for example. But we see that every time they turn and start to fight or even to dispute between one another who's going to be the greatest, And they do that frequently. Jesus says, you missed it. I came, I I was in heaven, and I left. I left my boat, as it were, if we keep using that metaphor. I left my boat, and I came to you as a servant. I went to the Sea of Galilee, where none of the rabbis were willing, where you were sent as an outcast. I went outside the gate. I went outside the city, and I sought you where you were at. And now I've given you a heart that's new, and this is what I want you to do. He would say, don't miss it. The world operates this way. They lord their leadership over you. 
they love to be an authority and yet never left a hand to help you. Over and over we see Jesus talking about this servant, servant leadership, this servant way of living. And this is not just the king of the world establishing his kingdom. This is the king of the universe. This is the person who was there. And he told the disciples this, if you remember, I was there when Satan fell. This is the person who was there in creation. Let us make man in our image. And there all along the way, outside of time, this is God of the universe in flesh. We can sometimes lose sight of that as we're reading the narrative, this, the stories of Jesus. But I want to encourage you today to remember that Jesus is Lord. And whether we acknowledge it now, whether we allow him to, to be the Lord of our life, we're going to one day. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Ireland has helped me understand lordship better because we talk about Jesus being our Savior, but then when I ask her, what does Jesus being your Lord mean? What do you say, Ireland? You're embarrassed suddenly. He's our boss. Jesus is our boss, and he is. But it's not just a worker relationship. It's a family relationship. So Jesus showed us how to be the son of God, how to be sons and daughters of the king of, of God in a, in a beautiful way, in a perf- the perfect way. So we're supposed to be obedient children of God, and he empowers us to do that. Romans tells us that the spirit adopts us. He does that work in us and allows us to cry out to God as father. And John, and again in Romans, constantly regeneration or conversion is expressed as being born again. Entering the kingdom means being, becoming a child, having faith like a child. And that can only happen through God. So a disciple is someone who comes and follows Jesus, imitates, worships, and obeys Jesus. And in that process, as they worship and obey, they're transformed. So it's someone who's transformed in the image of Christ. And then if you're following that triangle, you're being called up to, to God, being called Godward, and then being formed into community in the likeness of God, then you're also going to be called out into the world. And a lot of times this is the part we, we miss. We talk about Jesus' good news up to the point that it affects our lives. And we forget that he's called us to more. Matthew 4:19. Let's see that again. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Most translations say for men. That's the idea is for people. Sometimes we can focus on following, obeying, worshiping, even, even the spiritual aspect, being transformed by God. It looks like here Jesus' end goal is that those disciples would produce more disciples. And we know, if we turn to the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, that famous Great Commission passage, that Jesus was even more explicit in some of his last words on earth about the process of discipleship. Matthew 28 through 18 and on. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. A disciple is clearly somebody who's going to make more disciples. How we do that is important. Jesus gives us some ways there. He even gives us some ways all through his ministry, if we look through the Gospels, of how, how to better follow him, the spiritual disciplines, how to be a better child of God, how to better worship him how to worship him rightly, the attitude and the posture we take when we go to God. But he also wants us to produce more. If we take Matthew 4.19 as the definition of what Jesus understood to be a disciple, we have an incomplete vision if we don't see other disciples being produced. This reproduction aspect is perhaps one of the most important. We see how Jesus lived this out, how he did it perfectly with his disciples. He prepared them for ministry. I don't know about you, but at my job in the past, I've definitely had apprentices under me, and I've been an apprentice. And as you're learning a trade, you're encouraged to let them watch, but they're actively watching. They're not passively watching. Let them watch what they're doing until they've acquired the knowledge. And then next, they're to act and then watch you're watching them. Now your hands off unless they need you. And then eventually you can leave. And some people call that the mall model. There's all kinds of different acronyms for it. But the idea is that you don't just teach somebody about it in the classroom and then expect them to go do it perfectly. They get experience under somebody who's more experienced than themselves. Jesus did this with the disciples. He taught them what life in the kingdom was like. He even sent them on missions, Matthew 10, Luke 9, Luke 10. Over and over, Jesus would send them out ahead of him and then come back, and they would report. And sometimes Jesus would give pointers and ways, well, that requires prayer and fasting. He would give them different examples of how to better follow the Father. And then at the end of his ministry, he tells them, and he warns them leading up to the to the death and resurrection of Christ, he, he warns his disciples that he's leaving. And they, they don't get it, we know that. But he can continually tells them it'll be better. And this is like a mind-blowing thing. That everything in the kingdom, as you read Matthew and the other Gospels, everything in the kingdom is upside down from the way you think it would be. Some people call it the upside-down kingdom. Everything's counterintuitive. Leaders are to serve. The first shall be the last, the last shall be first. It, it goes on and on. The way you would naturally operate in your sinful fallen nature is not the way God designed it to be. And Jesus tells them, it's actually better for me to leave and for you to continue the ministry with my spirit. This is God of the universe in flesh. Can you imagine if, God, if Jesus was here right now and he told you, it's better for me to not be here? Would you believe it? It takes, it takes serious faith to believe that. And on the back side of it now, we can say, oh, I see why. Because his spirit actually indwells us. It's better than him being with us. He's in us. He's actually empowering us to live this life. And the disciples would probably say the same. That, wow, yeah, we saw his hand at work and he trained us. But now, in the early church, the account and act, you know, Peter, people put lame people in Peter's shadow, and they were healed. I mean, this is even more similar to Jesus's 
ministry than when they just followed him as disciples. So we know that Jesus means for us to make more disciples. He tells us to go and make more disciples. He tells us to teach them everything he's taught us. That's how we're here today, because those first disciples were obedient. That's how we're able to hear the call today, because they recorded it in his word. And if you've not been transformed by God's renewing power, by the work of the Spirit in your life, I invite you to listen to God, listen to the voice of Jesus today calling to you. Come and follow me. Recognize my kingdom on earth. It's come in, in me. I'm the, I'm the king. That's what Jesus was declaring. I'm the king, and I'm here. Repent. I'm here. Turn from that way of life and come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We're to reproduce disciples if we're going to be faithful disciples of Jesus. So a few questions. Are you a disciple? Are you following being changed by and making more followers of Jesus. As we come to the close of the year, we like to ask a lot of questions about how we did in our jobs. We, a lot of times we have evaluations and stuff like that. And some of us are prone to say, you know, I'm not going to make resolutions. I don't like goal setting. I get it, but we need to assess how we've done this year as a church, as a family, as individuals, as disciples of Christ. Did we follow? Did we accurately portray Christ to the world with our speech, with our conduct, in the midst of a pandemic? No doubt we made mistakes. How do we follow Christ more closely? And I think one of the keys is going to be saying, Jesus, what do you mean by disciple? If we look around behind us and say, I've been following Christ for a long time, I've been transformed, I've been made new, but we don't see anyone following or anyone being sharpened or grown or matured in relationship with Christ through our relationship with them, we need to ask ourselves, what have we been calling a disciple? And then ask for the Spirit. The Spirit has been given to us for this purpose, to be his witnesses and to make disciples in all nations, including the USA. And so we need to ask Christ, to ask God, fill me afresh, not only with this better understanding, this better, more godly concept of disciple, but with the tools and equipment to be able to boldly proclaim your word and to call others to follow you. It doesn't matter if they've been called a hundred times to come follow Jesus. It might be the hundred and one time that they hear it, that they decide, I'm going to leave my nets and follow Jesus. It might be the hundred and, or hundred thousand time that the Spirit awakens their heart to hear it for the first time like you did. And if you're a believer, I know that even right now in your heart, you can feel worship. You can feel it erupting in worship when you think about where you were and who you were when Jesus called you to follow him and how all that nasty wickedness and sin and lostness was so overshadowed by the light and love and warmth of God. He wants you to be his voice. He wants you to be one calling to those who don't know him, who don't know him like that. So are you a disciple? And if not, are you ready to become one? And if so, are you ready to become a better one? Will you walk closer to Christ? Because he's never stopped walking close to you and coming close to you. He's still, just like he went out to the Sea of Galilee and walked where the outcasts were, he's walking by your job and your family and whatever the circumstances and conditions are. 
and calling to you. Come follow me. I'll make you more like me. And through you, I'll make others more like me.